Well, good morning again. I'm going to start this uh, message off in a very kind of lighthearted way, and um, I just want to start by saying we're all in a, a boatload of trouble. And the reason I say that is because of this little book right here. There's a gentleman uh, named George Barna who does a ton of research on American worldviews. A worldview is how you look at the world around you, how you see it, the eyes that you look at. And um, he's a Christian, and uh, so he's trying to figure out, like, what, how are most people functionally viewing their world around them today? And he's also particularly interested in people who label themselves as Christians, uh, because he himself is a Christian. And Barna, in this book, and if you're a church leader, this is a book you should have and read, especially if you're a leader of a church that aspires uh, to reach the lost with the love of Christ. Because if you want to know where people are, if it's a church that says, we're meeting people where they are, this tells you where people are today. This is American Worldview Inventory 2022-23, very recent. And in this book... He tells us why we're in so much trouble. He tells us, for example, that among Christians, only 8% of those who label themselves Christians have a biblical worldview. So I want you to think about that. Less than 1 in 10 people who think of themselves who will publicly call themselves a Christian, less than 8% of those agree with the things the Bible teaches. At least most of the things that the Bible teaches. And, and if you look at what Barna is talking about, you'll see these are just basic precepts and principles of what Christianity is. We're talking about Apostles' Creed type of things that we say each Sunday in this church. Less than one in ten people who call themselves Christians actually operate as if the Bible was really real, was really true. That's one reason why I tell you that we're in trouble. Now, if that's true of people who call themselves Christians, what do you think the worldview is of everyone else? It's, it's bleak is what it is. And yet, it's also interesting that Varna has researched movements. And he says that if you have only 2% of the population of any group of people, just 2% can create a movement within that group that will transform the culture of the entire group. All it takes is 2 out of 100 people. And we have that many Christians in the United States who do have a biblical worldview. So there's hope, he says, if we will understand well what the Bible says about how to live in our world, how to operate in our lives, and then agree to ourselves that what the Bible says is really real, really true, and if we operate according to it, as God promises, we'll be in the path of God's blessings. Amazing. So there's dark news, but there's also light in this. And Barna um, 
is actually also a believer in something that we're talking about this morning. He just came out with a book called Raising Spiritual Champions. In other words, how to parent your children so that they can survive and thrive in a world where most Christians don't even believe what they claim to believe. And obviously, all the others are varying degrees of enemies of that message. How do, how do you raise a child that can stand up to that? Well, Barna has, has put out his theories on how to raise a, a spiritual champion for a child. And it starts with this. It's, it starts with a belief that the family is the most fundamental, important unit in our culture and society. I want you to think about that for yourself. Remember, a lot of Christians don't have a biblical worldview. And I'm not accusing you. In fact, I, I would say the opposite. Virtually all the people in this room, I think, have a biblical worldview and or are deeply striving for a biblical worldview. But in a city of nine million, we worship with about 175 on a Sunday. And I don't think we're the only church that has a biblical worldview or teaches a biblical worldview. I'm not, I'm not arrogant enough to say that. But I am saying realize in here we can feel comfortable that we share a biblical worldview for the most part. But it's also healthy always for us to check ourselves on that, right? To make sure that we do have a biblical worldview. And so my, my first maybe challenging question to you today is, do you see your family as vital actually to civilization and to our whole society and culture? People of the Old Testament were told when they were exiled to Babylon Seek the peace of the city. Be a healthy light and salt to the people around you. And what Barna would argue, and I'm going to argue myself, that what the Bible tells us is that the most basic unit of society is your family, which is created by something called marriage. So let's read. And hopefully you'll see what God's instructions are about marriage and how to create a healthy and thriving marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. The words will be up on the screen, but I'm going to start at Ephesians 5.21 if you brought a Bible along today. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his, that is Christ's body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. One of the things that uh, Barna points out in his book is that what's happened with Christianity and the reason only 8% of us who call ourselves Christians have a biblical worldview is something called syncretism. Do you know what syncretism is? Syncretism is when we blend beliefs from the Bible about God with beliefs from the world about God. And Barna points out that in today's world, really, <laughs> since the very beginning, syncretism has been a huge challenge to faith. And that we want to, as humans, since we've come into a fallen world, blend beliefs that we've learned from society and culture with beliefs from the Bible. That's why we always have to come back to reorient ourselves in this book because it is so easy to just put a dabble of this or a dabble of that into the soup of our beliefs. We need to come back and say, what's God's recipe for this soup, for these beliefs? And, and that's why we're back to something. I, I don't know how many of you maybe squirmed a little bit at some of the words and what Paul said when I read it. Because there are some words in there that sound pretty challenging for both the women and the men. Most of us don't love the word submit, naturally. Most of us don't love, or at least in practice love, the word sacrifice, naturally. And yet, those are two of the biggest words used in this section of the Bible as instructions, as God's wisdom, as the way to put ourselves in the path of, of God's blessing. And so here's where I want to start. You can fill this in. I want to start with the belief that the purer our reliance on God's word is, the better our marriages and our families will be. And so this is, this is to bring you to some challenging truths about the Bible. We can't talk about all the questions and the, and the possible side. I mean, we, we should, Dan, we should have a Sunday Bible class on this because this message is going to raise a lot of questions. And I, I only have so many, uh, so much time. Here's the first belief. You have to believe that marriage is fundamental to society. God's very first commandment in the Bible, was not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment, yes, but it's not the first in time. Anybody here know what God's first in time commandment was? Make, make families. Well, he says it a little different than make families, right? But that's what he means. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, right? That's translated, I'm translating it, make families. 
I've just brought you two together, now be fruitful and multiply. All right? Let's look at Genesis 2, 23 and 24. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, this is what we read earlier, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. Men, have you left your father and mother? And and this is talking about emotionally, psychically, in your soul. Have you left your first bond and bonded to this most important woman in your life? Because that's what it's saying here. A man leaves his father and mother... They are no longer the most important unit in his, in his life. His wife is the most important person in his life. And they become one flesh. This is, this is, in every way you can imagine, one flesh. Certainly physically. But also emotionally. Also rationally. And maybe most of all spiritually. This is God's instruction. It is God's goal. So just take a moment. I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself, men, have you left your father and mother, and for that matter, everything else that you consider important in life, and thought to yourself, God never says to become one with my job. God never says to become one with my best buddies. And I'm a big believer that best buddies are important. We talk about this all the time in men's group. I think one of the most helpful things in life is for men throughout life to continue to have best buddies. But he never tells us to become one with them. There's only one person that he says, become one physically, emotionally, spiritually, rationally, of one mind even. All right, so that's what he's saying to us. That's, that's, he's saying fundamental in the same way. Put that picture of the molecule up. Can you have a molecule without an atom? And when I say it's fundamental, what I'm saying is you can't have any of the other structures of society and civilization if you let the family degrade. It's like letting atoms degrade and still trying to build a molecule. The family is the atom of all the molecules. What do I mean by molecules? We live in the village of New Lenox. We have a village government. I would argue that the family is so uh, essential that the village of New Lenox really can't exist unless families exist. I don't think the United States government can exist in the same way or that we can function together as a world as well as we do if we let families go, which tells you more about how much trouble we're in. Do you ever wonder why certain areas of Chicago are the way that they are? disorganized, disoriented, unable to function together. And I'll tell you, people think of all reasons for this. And I'll tell you, there's only one reason that's correct. 
go look for the, the places in the city where families are weak. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with education. And I could go on and on with the list that people list of why this area of the city doesn't work well. What I'll tell you is, where areas of the city do not work well, you will find families have disintegrated. And that's because the family is the atom. Other things don't hold together unless the family holds together. It is a fundamental unit. And, and I, let me put a few quotes up that really tell us. There, there's a guy named William Wolfe. And he says this, Marriage is not, as some argue, a pre-political institution. No, it is the first and most fundamental political institution established by God at the creation of the world. We just read that. Everything else in society is built upon marriages. If you pull out that foundation, if you redefine marriage, if you redefine man and woman, all of society will crumble. So, so this is why it's so important for us as Christians not just to talk marriage, but to be the marriages that God is calling for because the world needs us. Society and civilization need us to function according to the word of God. Society needs us not to be syncretists. And pull in ideas from here and from there and then, oh, by the way, oh yeah, God says this, but I'm not sure I agree with all of that. We have to come back to the original source of the one who created marriage in the first place, of the one who brought the woman to the man, the one who said to the woman and the man, be fruitful and multiply. We, today, in today's world, this is what I'm attacking, a problem. And that problem is, disposable marriage. It is the idea that the world has that we should stay together in our marriages as long as it's convenient for us, as long as it works for us, as long as it makes us happy. And what I'm going to tell you if you read all of the Bible is the primary reason is not just happiness, the primary reason for marriage. Of course, marriage is meant to make us happy. But it's not the primary thing. The primary thing is not happiness, it's holiness. Marriage is intended by God to put a person in our life who knows us inside out, who can call us on our bull, who can say to us, you're saying this, but this is what's really happening. But who also can encourage us, who can strengthen us, who can tell us, I respect you, I admire you, I love you, I will protect you. Do you know how powerful those kinds of statements are? In getting through a world that often is, and, and we're experiencing that now, dark and scary? There's nothing more important after Christ and after faith in Christ than us, for the sake of our world, to create healthy, thriving marriages. It is the basic building block. I have another quote after this quote by William Wolfe. Pull up that next quote, if you will. 
The family is held together by the strongest of human bonds. You see, this is why family is so important. No other unit is held together by the strongest of bonds, which he says is love. And by the demands of self-preservation, its essential function is the rearing of children. Those societies of the past and the present, which we call good societies, have been strongly marked by powerful family ties. These have been societies possessed of a high degree of both order and freedom. Societies in which the family has been enfeebled, disposable marriages, have been disorderly and servile societies, lacking love, lacking security. So, oftentimes we talk about root causes when we talk about issues. What am I telling you? Number one, we have to see the disintegration of the family as a root cause of the disintegration of our society. But only 2% of people are needed to create a movement. I want you to hear that loud and clear. Because there's the bright light. If you and I will just commit and say, oh my goodness, my marriage is one of the most important fundamental things in my life and not just my life, my spouse's life, my children's life, my neighborhood's life, my city's life, my country's life, my world's life. You know, there's that old saying, where do I start in a world that's filled with so much problems? Like, how do I eat an elephant like this? How do I stop the war in Israel? How do I stop the war in Ukraine? It's just too big. And God's answer is, stop worrying about the war in Ukraine. War, worry more about the war inside your own home. Fix that. Get that right. Create peace and unity and harmony inside your own family, and under your own roof. And if enough of us do that, we will become the 2% who can change the world. Marriage is important. That's number one. Marriage, family, as, as I write, you can write this down, family is the fundamental unit of society, and marriage is the fundamental act that creates family. All right, point number two. Now I'm going to drill down into your marriage. And I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't hear very often and may actually, even as a Christian, never have heard. Wow, really? Yeah, that's what I'm promising. And this thing is the fire that needs to keep burning. You know, there's this old say, saying, keep the home fires burning. Well, I'm going to tell you how to keep your home fire burning right now. And it's not going to come from me. It's going to come from the Apostle Paul, all right? Now, I want, before we dive into that, I want you to think about an engine. Do you know how to make sure very easily that an engine will not run? Take out the little fire that turns the engine over. Anyone ever watched a spark plug fire? Disconnect the, the wire that does that, and you'll have an engine that won't run. 
that little spark created by a spark plug, that little thing is so powerful. With it, the whole engine can operate, assuming the rest of the engine is in good shape. Without it, you got nothing. And this is true about marriage. So what is that little spark, that little fire that will keep things growing? Well, God says something interesting, and, and you may doubt this for a moment because you're going to say, well, only 8% of Christians have a biblical worldview, and that leaves a whole lot of non-Christians who are seemingly making their marriage work, so I don't get what you're telling me. But remember, we're going back to the designer, capital D designer, and the creator of marriage. And that creator of marriage says, I am the most important thing in your marriage. The capital C creator, a.k.a. God, says, in the union between two people, there's actually a third person. And if you take him out, you're taking the fire out. You're taking the spark out. And how do I know this from the book of Ephesians chapter 5? Listen to how Paul says this. Submit to one another out of, what's that word? Reverence for Christ. What's reverence? Reverence is honor. A Christian word for it would be worship. Why can you, this is the very first verse in this section, Think about, remember the theme of the series? It's not about me. How do you get there? How do you get to where you could submit to the other person, put their needs and their wants and their desires ahead of your own? Paul says, you need the fire. And the fire is worship of Christ. And so if you will think firmly about how you in your family worship Christ, you'll fire up the spark plug of your marriage. Over time, your marriage will get better and better and better. Now, our worship people over here are loving this. I'm just basically saying, you know, worship. And if you worship, and we'll talk about that practically in just a moment, but here's what I want you to write down uh, for part two. The fundamental fire of marriage is worship of Christ. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful quote about this. And he fell in love later in life to a woman named Joy. And then they wrote letters back and forth, as you know you do when you're feeling romantic. And C.S. Lewis wrote this. To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest meaning you, Joy, when I've learned to love God more than you. I shall love my earthly dearest. I will love you, Joy, better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. Keep going. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Isn't that weird? That in other words, the best way to love your wife is to love 
Jesus, who loved you and gave himself up for you, who died for you to forgive all your sins, who went to the cross at the cost of his own blood and in his own life because he loves you that much, because he wants to spend eternity with you. Honestly, you think about <laughs> one of the ways in, in most of our books today to spell love is what? Here's how most people in today's world spell love because it, it to them is the sacrificing and the giving of the most valuable thing they have in their life. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. You want to tell someone you love them, spend quality time with them. Now, Jesus comes and he says, I want to spend a whole lot of quality time with you in heaven, and it's called eternity. If that doesn't tell you how much Jesus loves you, I don't, I don't know what to say, because that is Jesus saying, I love you so much, I want to be with you forever. Forever. And I'm going to make that happen through my death and resurrection. It's, it's an unbelievable picture of how much Jesus loves us. So C.S. Lewis, responding to that, put that back up, the first slide, the C.S. Lewis slide. If I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. I love those words. Keep Jesus, keep worship at the center of your marriage, and your marriage will be amazing. Okay, so let me, what does that look like, right? I mean, what do we mean? Do we come to church every day together, husband and wife, and we ask Courtney and Phil to show up with their band? Could you guys do that for my marriage? Phil's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Love you guys, but that's a lot. Did you know you can develop your own home worship? And as much as we love Phil and Courtney, you can worship God apart from Phil and Courtney. That's awesome. And the whole rest of the band. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, you can. Guys, how many of you pray with your wives? You don't, you don't raise your hands. You don't have to. Number one aspect of worship that is so difficult for husbands to do for some odd reason is just to say, honey, will you pray with me? Guys, I want you, if there's one thing that I would send you home as like a practical tip after I know Jesus loves me, and I know he's forgiven all my sins. Like, take that with you for sure. <laughs> Number two, I'm going to ask my wife to pray with me, and it's going to be awkward, and it's going to be hard, and neither of us is going to know what to say, but I'm going to do it anyway because that keeps the spark plug sparking. I, I'm going to do this too. Once in a while at home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up my Apple Music or my Spotify and um, I'm going to just secretly, with no one else's permission, put Christian music on in my own home. Amazing. Think about that. What about praying before meals? In today's world, one of the studies show fewer and fewer families are just doing the basic, praying before meals. 
partly because we're not eating together as families anymore, but partly because we're so in a rush, we don't have time to pray before meals. That's what we think. Can you hear syncretism in that? Meaning combining the world's beliefs with your Christian beliefs? What's the syncretism in that? The syncretism is the world teaches I have to rush, 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 do, 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 sports, 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 school, 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 work, 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 until it squeezes prayer out, even before meals prayer. Personal devotion time. Men, I'm going to talk to you because I think women technically, typically might do a little better at this, but men, you need to do it. Haul your Bible out. You, you don't have to have a half an hour. You don't have to have 15 minutes. You can take five minutes. Download the Bible app. I don't know how you're going to do it. I, bring it into your own life and then think about bringing it into your family's life, a personal devotion time. I, I'm just trying to make it practical so you can understand that when you do that, that is putting new spark plugs in your marriage. And you might think, well, I was... You know, the world tells me that we should have date night. And I've even heard pastors say once in a while, you should have date night. Yeah, that's great. Date nights are wonderful. The world tells me when my marriage is struggling, get therapy. I'm not against therapy. I myself have had therapy. Get a counselor. It's beautiful. But the spark, the fire, is worship. All right, last point, because we're running out of time. Pastor, you promised you wouldn't keep us here all day. <laughs> all right, a family's, let's do the last fill-in. A family's worship beliefs and practices impact a marriage more than any single other factor. Let's motor through part three. A marriage devoted to Christ thrives on two things. And here they are at the very end of the section. We read the first part of the section, 521. Let's go all the way to the back end of Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So circle two words. Men, you can circle love, and women, you can circle respect. There's a book about this, if you want to dive more deeply into it, since I can't keep preaching forever. There's the book. You want to study this subject of love and respect in marriage from a Christian point of view, get this book. And by the way, since I'm on books, you know, I mentioned this one, and then I'm mentioning that one. What about this one? This got published this week. Yeah. So you can actually go to Amazon, and uh, I'm going to talk to Dustin later because I've already been asked about are there going to be other ways than Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure about that yet, but I am sure because I looked it up myself. You can get it on Amazon if you want to read Dustin's book, which I recommend uh, because he's really laying out his heart for this church and life. So uh, pick it up. Uh, a marriage devoted to Christ thrives on two things, love and respect. And when these two things are mentioned, because I've got to wrap up quickly, what I'm going to tell you is 
God is mentioning the thing for each spouse that they're typically a little weaker on. Women are more natural at loving. Women are more natural at nurturing. Women are more natural at, at taking the pain of someone else upon themselves. And so women don't need that as much. Women, women need to know that they are loved faithfully. They need to know, husbands, here's the secret. You want to fuel your marriage? Paul's telling you the thing right here. Here's the fuel for your marriage, guys. Make your wife feel safe in your love, that it is faithful and true and will never fade or die. If you can honestly convince your wife that your love is faithful and true, and will never fade or die. That's what Paul's telling you to do. Now women, men, they're going to tend to want you to know how much they admire and respect you because that's their strong point. But they need to hear from you that in the, in the dross of all their imperfection, you can find something to admire about them. Something to respect about them. And honestly, when you really start to look, you probably will find more than you might even expect. Now, some of you are looking at me a little bit with the eyes of, hey, I do respect my husband. I do admire him. Great. If you're there, you're on it. Keep going. If, if you're already telling your husband how much you admire and respect him for this or that, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever those things are, keep going. Ladies, if you're not saying it enough, this is the fuel. You want to push the gas pedal on your marriage? Paul's telling you the secret. And it's simply to make, make your husband feel like he is a knight in shining armor to you. That's it. Men, love your wives. Husbands, give your wife that faithful idea that you are with them in love forever. Wives, show respect and admiration for your, wife, for your husbands. All right, let's close. According to God, women thrive on devoted love. There it is. And men thrive on respect and admiration. This addresses our own spiritual weaknesses. It fulfills the needs of the other, and it is a powerful point. So we write, write that down. According to God, women thrive on devoted love. Men thrive on respect and admiration. Now, I'm going to come back full circle as I close. world's not going to tell you these things. You're not going to get what, I, what you got here today from your friends out in the world. And that's why it's so much more important for you to hear it here from God in the book of Ephesians through this apostle. Because I am telling you, this is the spark directly from the one who created marriage. This is the user's manual. This is the guy who knows more about marriage than you and I will ever know. God himself. And while we won't hear these things from the world, if we can bring ourselves with the Spirit's help and power to trust in them, 
oh man, we're going to have thriving marriages. And it's not just going to change your marriage and your family. It's going to change all of society, all of civilization. You want to stop wars around the world? Start right at home. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have given us this amazing message about how to keep the home fires burning through keeping you first in our lives. Lord, help us to worship you as we are doing now. Help us to bring this home, put it under our own robes, build this into the very fabric of our own marriages. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we've sought advice from other places, not that all of it is even wrong. But Lord, we need to come back to you and understand that you want us to have the most thriving, brilliant, wonderful marriages and families. And when we look to you for our wisdom on that, it's amazing. Lord, when we look to you for forgiveness, because we need that, your grace and mercy, you give that too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to thrive in life and in marriage and in family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join with me in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.